Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast. I'm Sasha. I'm Laura. And we're here to talk all things employee experience, experience design, future of work and digital HR. Let's get into it. So hi everyone and welcome back to the Experience Lounge podcast episode three. In this podcast we're going to be talking about hybrid working, the role of relational analytics in hybrid EX design. But first Sasha how is your week? It's been good. It's been a busy week for me. I'm moving next week so Exciting. my house is full of boxes and I've had a bunch of deadlines as well this week. So stress levels, high, high. caffeine levels equally as high but overall feeling very happy. It's Thursday, we're going to hit the weekend Good vibes only, good energy good. only. How about you? Um, it's been a good week. I've actually taken a week's leave because I delivered a big project at work recently. So taking some time out to mm-hmm. chill, um, spend time with my little boy. We did a staycation over the weekend, which was brilliant. I know people listening in countries outside of Singapore might be like, oh, why is she talking about a staycation? <laughs> we can't go to those. Um, so it might might sound a bit rubbish, but it was... Um, it was great. Lots mm. of kiddie-friendly stuff for him to do and um, free-flow drinks for the adults, so oh, win-win. Amazing. Yes. More of those staycations, please. Can we do a podcast yeah. getaway? A podcast retreat. That, oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Oh, you heard it here first. So we're delighted to have been joined by Daniel West, um, who spent some time with us talking a little bit, as, as Laura's already said, around the role of relational analytics in hybrid EX design. So before we, um, we introduce the clip, Here's a bit of a bio on Daniel. So Daniel West is the founder and CEO of Panelit, a people analytics SaaS tool that integrates people data across HR systems and files to deliver actionable people analytics in the hands of business leaders, empowering them to make data-driven people decisions. Prior to founding Panelit, Daniel has held senior HR roles at Apple, Uber, Noble Group, Morgan Stanley, and has also advised high-growth startups on how to scale effectively. It goes without saying that we are delighted to have him here for today's episode. Absolutely. So, super excited. Let's jump into the interview. Hello, Daniel. How are you doing? Hi, Sasha. Good. Uh, Thanks very much for having me here. No problem at all. Laura and I are super excited to talk to you today. We are indeed. Hey, Laura. Hey. Fabulous. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself that we haven't already covered in the bio? Um, yeah. Hi, my name's Daniel West. Yeah. So I'm the uh, founder and CEO at Panelit. We're a people analytics firm. We, I think we started about three years ago now after I spent over 20 years in in-house HR. So we really built Panelit to solve basically a, a problem that I'd lived with through my whole career. I'd stayed up until four in the morning, more times than I can count, just pulling data out of Excel sheets and out of different systems that didn't want to talk to each other, putting data together to put in front of my clients to uh, answer their their latest inane question. And and then someone would invariably say, oh, that's really interesting. What about that? Can I see that by gender? Or could I see that by tenure? Can I see that? And I'd be, okay, let me go back to the charts and do that all over again. And I'd spend another night until four in the morning working on Excel sheets and putting them into PowerPoints. And that's how I spent just way too much of my HR career. And I thought there has to be a system 
which means I shouldn't have to do this or everyone coming up behind me in HR, they shouldn't have to do this. And I tried buying that system and just didn't find anything to, to buy that would that would fill that gap. So tried building it. So that's essentially yeah, what got me into to uh, to startup world out of a out of a corporate career was that, that this tool just has to exist. So we built it. Amazing. And how long have you been on that startup journey? Yeah, so three years, we're almost almost to the to the, to the month. And we spent a good year and a half, two years of building the underlying technologies, the um, the way of, of pulling data in very, very quickly from from the various systems that HR uses uh, that accommodates the um, the the usual quite messy nature of, of HR data and building that back end to support that and building a, a a tool that allows you to to drive the data very very quickly to to end users because one thing I've noticed about the line managers I've always worked with is that they have absolutely no patience for for data that loads slowly. <laughs> Especially if it's if it's HR data that they're not fundamentally interested in anyway. Um, so we built a tool that realizes the visuals very very fast, and and we focused on building a tool where the the visualization is 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 highly highly simplified for for, for non HR practitioners. So yes, yeah, so we've spent a good couple of years getting getting the tech right, and just the last year really actively selling. And so this has been a super interesting year to be actively yeah. starting a a people analytics venture with um, the nature of of work and the nature of uh, just how companies operate just changing almost overnight um mm-hmm. so that's been fascinating so we we really did uh, look at our product very early on and and double down on on the, one of the topics we're going to talk about today that the uh, relational analytics the the communication data aspect of our of our system yeah Awesome. And I, I guess from a episode perspective, we really wanted to focus on hybrid working. And we spoke about this before we started recording, but not your kind of standard mm-hmm. hybrid working environment discussion, but definitely more so around, as you say, relational analytics and the role that that plays in creating an inclusive hybrid working environment and fantastic yeah. employee experiences, which of course is the entire sentiment behind our podcast. So uh, like I said, super thrilled to have you have you here. And we've got quite a few topics we want to discuss. And the first one, um, Uh, which I'll throw to you first, actually, Daniel, is when did relational Mm. analytics become so crucial in the context of hybrid working? So, you know, what was that moment over the last 12 months, maybe even longer, that really kind of brought that to the forefront for you? The, the idea of relational analytics where you're, you're pulling the communication data, so data from email, chat, and calendar tools so to begin with, but you can also pull it from for anything like Jira or, or, or Trello or any tool where people are interacting, but the, but the first visit is usually Slack and email. Um, you're pulling the communication data, and we, we focus very much on just the metadata, just the from who to who and the timestamp, and we don't look at content. So the idea of, of that being a valuable data set has been around for years and years and years there's, there's there's companies like Trustphere that's been that's been in the business of extracting that data and visual helping you visualize it for for years but what's been missing is connecting that data to people data and, and this is the bridge that yeah. that the panel that we really focused on 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 bridging that gap um this year is we 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 started off in the pure play people analytics space that you know uh, HRAS data um recruitment data compensation data and by adding the uh, relational communication communication data to it, we can show you not just who your people are, but how they're connected to the organization, who they're talking to, and and how um, integrated your, your your team is. And that's been the missing part. Um, and so people have always been, been understood that this was a, a super interesting data set, but didn't know kind of how to make it actionable. And I think the, um, the value of it to an idea of hybrid working, of people 
some people working in the office and some people working remotely, that there haven't been enough organizations that have gotten their hands around the, the relational data and have also had a hybrid working model. Mm. There haven't been many companies in that Venn diagram of overlap to make this a, a popular topic. But I think in, in, a, in certain, in, in the kind of circles that I operate in, in, in sort of the people analytics world, it's always been known as this is the right way to do it, but no mm. one's had the time, energy, focus on it. So, so it's that it's always been valuable, but but it's only been during this COVID period where there's been enough impetus to make it work. And I think as an example for, for, for Panelit, we had this on our uh, software development pipeline probably for two or three years away. Like we'll finally get there because that's a, mm. that's a, you know, that's kind of an esoteric tool that hardly anyone's going to ask for, but we know it's going to be valuable. And then, you know, that changed completely around you know, what March last year when mm. we looked at each other and went, okay, we have to do this now. Yeah. And is there kind of a consistent driver on your client side or your customer side, you know, especially over the last 12 months? Is there something that is pushing people to say, we really need to be looking at this? Is it unique to industries, unique to specific organizations, or is it just everybody's trying to figure out how do we make hybrid working work as, as best as possible? It definitely isn't industry specific or even regional specific. It's much more linked to, I'd say, they'd say two overwhelming factors. So one is anyone of any decision making level in that organization having any concept that this stuff exists. So someone who's already had some contact with it or, or understands the the potential of it. And, and and that might be surprising to you that that's actually, I, I think, a relative, still a relatively small number of people that, that really understands mm-hmm. that this is a, a possible thing, that it, it can be relatively turnkey. And so that's one. The other is just what is their journey um, on the total people analytics uh, journey anyway? What is their point in that journey? Because there's still a, a large number of companies and even relatively large companies that are still barely at the accurate routine reporting and a, a basic transparency of people data at all. People data is still a, a black box for, for very many companies. And so we have had quite a number of discussions of people that have seen our webinars, seen the information that we've put out there about the potential of relational analytics, and, they, and they, they're interested to talk. But the the hurdle they've got is that they, they basically don't have any level of people analytics, any level of consistent, accurate reporting on their people at all. So they are talking mm-hmm. about from a, going from a standing start to you know zero to sixty, as it were, without without doing any kind of of, uh, of ramp up. And so we're 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 walking through those clients through just getting a, a handle on your basic data so that you can get to relational analytics three months down the line, six months down the line. But I think I think it, I think the ones that are that are really driving it are are the, are the folks that have any level of awareness and um, have. So again, have taken some steps on that journey. The the only other thing that I'd say is, I think there are definitely some companies that think that remote working or hybrid working is a permanent part of their future. And there's a whole bunch of companies that don't believe that. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're yeah. not focused on it. Yeah. And how do you um, sort of work with smaller organizations? So perhaps where they don't have, you know, the infrastructure of, of data in in their HR systems, is there still things you can do with them um, to sort of build that data set? I think that's a, a really interesting question because I think there's obviously for our, our baseline product of, of people analytics and demographic analysis, comp analysis, recruitment analysis, et cetera, there really is a cutoff point around, I would say, 300, 400 people where mm-hmm. it's 
not that valuable unless you've got a really specific problem to solve. And we do have some much smaller clients that do have, you know, incredible diversity in terms of geographic spread where their people are or, you know, real challenges around certain aspects of their people where, where, where we're a really good solution for them. But generally, you need to be of a certain scale for this just to be worthwhile doing. Whereas the relational analytics, yeah, I think you've touched a good point that even if you're a company of 40 people, 50 people, if you're spread out, the relational analytics uh, view, I think, is, is incredibly valuable. But I would say we don't have any clients that have come to, of that size that have actively come to us to, to, to right. talk about this. And, I, and I'd really, you know, if anyone's on the, if anyone's listening to this <laughs> and thinks, well, wait a minute, I'm 40 people and my people are now spread out. Um, I think anyone that's thinking about we were in two or three offices in different places mm-hmm. in the world and now we are mostly or completely going to be operating remote from now on if you're not thinking about doing a relational analytics project you, you really really should be it's, it's going to be um, night and day it's going to it's going to make a night and day difference to how you uh, manage the company going forward and, and, and you know we're not the only tool that does this but we are a, a, a pretty turnkey solution that a small company could turn on particularly on the relational analytics stuff the interesting thing about the relational analytics is it sounds very complex but the mm-hmm. source of data is typically G Suite or Microsoft email. It's typically yeah. one system or maybe that plus Slack. It's a couple of tools where the data is incredibly clean because no one customizes those tools, right? Compared to HR data, yeah. which is historically is is very, very complicated. And everyone sets up their HR system in a different way. And everyone's got different definitions of, of what full-time means or what permanent means. Like everyone's mm-hmm. got a, that's why HR data is fundamentally so difficult to get your hands around. But relational data is, is again, incredibly clean. It's in, it's a huge, huge, huge data set, but it's a very clean data set. So this isn't a, this isn't a type of analysis that really anyone can do in-house. I mean, maybe the Googles of the world can do this in-house, but but no other company should be doing this in-house. But it's a, it's a very clean data set for us to absorb and then we've got the structure set up to make it visual as it were to make it actionable and to make it look beautiful we've seen it i've seen it it ah, looks yeah appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. yeah we did spend a lot of time making it look inviting because if you do look at some of the early tools or some of the, the tools that are made for real data scientists to handle this data they are just just overwhelming to look at you, you take one look yeah. at it and you think well that's just a mess of dots and lines and i, I can't learn anything from that so our, our big challenge was on that as you say on that front end to make it visually appealing and visually interesting and sort of clickable so that you can you can get meaning from it really really fast um but um appreciate that no worries and this isn't an ad we just really appreciate what you're doing so (laughs) just to clarify as well um (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the research that we've we've all reviewed prior to this podcast so we have got some Gartner research that we shared with you, Daniel, mm. and also we'll put in the show notes with the podcast as well, the link to the article so people can read it too. Mm. But a couple of findings that we thought were quite interesting for us to talk through. So one was that hybrid and fully remote employees are more likely to feel high levels of inclusion than fully in office employees. Mm. And that was 27% of hybrid and fully remote workers report feeling high levels of inclusion versus 20% in fully in-office employees. And then among fully remote and hybrid employees who were primarily in the workplace prior to 2020, 35% say their organisation's cultures have changed since they shifted to remote work. But among those that have reported a culture change, 76% say their cultures have improved. Hmm. What's your view on this research and does that sort of correlate to what you've seen over the last um, 12 months during the pandemic? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a great piece of research, and I think it's great that they were able to turn it around you know, within the year when it's obviously super valuable. But I think it's drawing conclusions about the future of hybrid working. And so I, I, I was thinking of turning it, if I can, if I can turn it back around to, to yourself, where, where you've experienced remote working before COVID and, and whether you saw that really working well. So probably in my previous organisation, yes, we saw that work quite well, but I think that was because the organization made a real concerted effort to move to hybrid and had a large proportion of colleagues that did work from home mm-hmm. so when i think of some similarities actually with the with the pandemic there were large groups of people that would be fully remote working and i think that does make a difference but i think when you have a large organization with more of the employee base in in one geography that makes it less complex from things like a time zone perspective. And there are then sort of less challenges potentially around things like cultural norms. Whereas if you you know think about global organisations that have operations in lots of different countries, you've got how does, you know, flexi working and, and hybrid working sort of translate in different markets. I think you're totally right that that it reflects um, the the company really actively supporting it well, and that it's a large bulk of of employees within an organisation. Because uh, in my experience as as an HR director and, and speaking to, of course, my peer group of, of other HR folks, generally speaking, hi- hybrid or remote working when it's a small number of people or a one off situation uh, historically doesn't work very well. And uh, most organizations mm-hmm. don't let people work from home or didn't let people work from home precisely for the reason where it is historically not worked well, that people are seen as being uh, as, as not being engaged with their colleagues, uh, not being able to keep up to speed, not being able to be part of the culture. Um, and if I think about just my experience of being a kind of global manager, but operating remotely, because I've always been the international end um, yeah. of the various com- HR of the various companies I've worked at. So when I was with Uber as the head of HR international, I was part of a global management team where there was eight people, seven of whom were sitting in San Francisco. So they would all sit in an office where I would be calling into the weekly meeting. And you, and as the single remote person, you struggle to be heard. You can't keep up with the, the local mm-hmm. conversation. And that's generally, um, even if people are in the same country, that's generally been seen as, as what happens with hybrid remote working. And I, but I, so I think, I think the findings in the, in the, in the Gartner survey, I think uh, totally makes sense to me that people feel like there's a, more positive engagement um, through this hybrid working, but I would say it's it's going to be because this is a an, an unusual period where the bulk of people, including senior leaders, are also working remotely, and so there's also a lot of management time, headspace, focus on making it work. But as soon as I, I believe, as soon as we're in a situation where everyone has the vaccine and people can go back into work, the nature of corporate politics and just the way uh, leadership at large organizations work is that those leaders will gravitate back to the offices. And once you've got leadership and management in the offices, you, you suddenly have anyone that wants to be successful, anyone who wants to be promoted and be seen and be, you know, have their voice heard is going to believe that they need to be back in the office. And I, and I think I think this survey is based on an unusual period where the bulk of people are out. And, and I don't think we'll ever see this level of focus on making remote working work for the bulk, for the majority of companies again. So I, I think there's a, a, a kind of a misleading finding from this survey result at this unusual mm-hmm. 
period. I don't think hybrid working is, I, I personally don't believe hybrid working is here to stay. I think fully remote working might work or, or, or if we start to think about hybrid and, and plus a percentage is describing these models, whether an organization is going to be 1% hybrid or 1% remote or 70% will make a massive difference. Mm, and I think you touched on a point about leaders going back and people flocking back to the office as a result of that, which I totally agree is a dynamic. I think we're already seeing, especially in parts of Asia where people have gone back to work in Australia and so on. Yeah. And actually, you know, we're not talking about this particular topic today, but the the rush back to the office or people's ability to get back into the office also has massive implications on diversity and inclusion. Um, and I say this because one of the clients that we worked with um, or have been working with recently, um, you know, we did some research with them. And one of the things that came up from a lot of the women was, you know, when we're on Zoom calls now and we've got some people in the office and some people at home, it's it's always men in the meeting room and the women are now dialing in that's mm. the dynamic of a lot of those conversations in yep. australia is yep. you know men have been very very quick to return and they can and yep. um, but maybe that creates some challenges for for women returning to work as quickly right i totally agree i, I think there is a uh, i think there's a very simple rule to how hybrid working is actually going to work if, if companies are serious about making it work and that's simply that if there's a meeting where some people are working from home are calling in from remote locations no one should be in a meeting room together I think mm-hmm. that's just that that's simply and this is what I've said to um, wherever I've been, you know, running an organization. And that's what we said here at Panelit is even if some of the team members do get together for a day and, you know, they take a, a, a co-working space to powwow, if there's any call with other people, everyone gets on their own machine, everyone has their own headphones, their own microphone, you, they, they, you can't have a situation where there's five people in a meeting room and two people calling in and think that that's going to be an effective meeting because it's absolutely not going to be an effective meeting. So I think organizations, that that understand that and understand that sure there might be a benefit to some of the people being uh together and and there's water cooler moments and there's you know that that that's useful but holding a meeting where some people are calling in but other people are sitting together in a meeting room that is not that's not a that's not an effective meeting and i think once once that becomes an understood practice then i think you know the, the hybrid working can work but otherwise it just won't and absolutely i, I your point about the the this this unfairly hitting um female workers i think is is absolutely uh, borne out by the data and wh- where we are seeing some return to work in our clients data we're absolutely seeing women uh, being a much higher proportion of the um the body of people that that, that haven't returned to the office yet mm-hmm. and are still operating remotely but on the other hand the the relational data that 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 we're analyzing that we're still looking at right now um, and obviously, there, there's going to be some lag in this in this uh, movement, but we're, we're still seeing still very high levels of engagement in um, in sort of remote working employees, regardless of, of gender. And and so I think that that the impact of that returning to work isn't having an overall impact. But where we do filter the data down to just who's who's back in the office largely and who isn't largely, there is a big gender imbalance. But that gender imbalance isn't translating through to um, overall network engagement levels yet. So I, I predict that it will, um, mm-hmm. but, but there's no evidence in the data yet. Yeah. I think those rules of engagement that you've talked about in terms of 
of meetings is going to be really really key if organizations are going to make hybrid working mm. work because I think to your sort of question previously pre-covid I think a lot of us probably experienced being the one person yeah you know on on the video call or on the audio call and it and it is quite disengaging mm. so it's about trying to make I think that experience equitable for everybody right so yeah. that when you're in that meeting you're yeah. all on a level yeah. playing field and I think that's probably why yeah in covid year that's why it's worked really well mm. but organizations are going to have to work yeah. i think a lot harder post covid yeah, to still still make that work yeah i agree and i think yeah. there's a degree of advocacy that uh, and um a sort of toughness that that needs to come into this discussion because i've um i've had a, i've had a few um sort of previous colleagues again the sort of hr peer group folks um ask me sort of my advice about how to how to make this work in their organizations and and one of the things that I focused on is kind of something you were just exhibiting is the, the language that we use around that exclusion. As you were saying, mm. it, it, you know, it feels kind of like you're, you're, you're being excluded, you feel. And I'm trying to coach folks to say, this is not an effective meeting. Like, like, yeah. like being much more direct about the, um, not just how I feel about it, but actually the commercial impact of running a meeting where one person's calling in or two people are calling in to a, to a meeting of 10 people. That's not an effective meeting. You, there's no point in those people being in that meeting. It is a waste of time and money if you're not yeah. going to hold the meeting effectively. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people, I think I think everyone concerned needs to have a, a much stronger vocabulary um, around this if it's if they're going to be taken seriously and if, they, if, they, if it's going to have a, a, proper, a proper impact. Um, mm-hmm. if, if it's not couched in a commercial term, um, it's not going to get taken seriously and that, that's been my experience yeah absolutely um some really really interesting insights and kind of the last question that we'd like to position to you daniel is how can organizations use relational analytics mm. and and specifically varying degrees of of richness so smaller organizations who are maybe starting out on relational analytics journey to support hybrid EX design. So regardless of whether or not it sticks around for the long term, how can people effectively use relational analytics to help support that experience design? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, th- I think it brings together everything we were, we, we've been saying that, that you can use the, 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 the electronic communication data to have a very accurate, very real time and active understanding of who's communicating with whom, teams that are communicating with other teams, individuals communicating with their subordinates or their seniors. You can have a complete picture of of a person and a team's um, communication behaviors. And that can very, very quickly translate into a a, a simple level of engagement between individuals and teams or teams and teams. Mm -hmm. And so there are some, some really practical simple use cases so one of the ones that almost every client uh, grabs onto is the idea of onboarding you're you're hiring someone new into the organization there there is no office for them to be in or at least they're they're not going to be in the office most of the time how do you make sure that they are engaging with the business if you can't see that they are actively uh, connecting with people well the electronic data will show you the network that they're building over time so most of our clients are looking at that new hire data to to see that the networks that people are forming in their first week, first month, first six months mm-hmm. are reflective of the overall organization. Also, that there's a, a very simple idea of a network diversity score. So not just are those new hires building a, a volume of people that they're connecting with enough people. Are they connecting with people that are are diverse? As in, are they outside their immediate team? Are they, are they, are they making connections with people in other teams, making connections with people in other locations, making connections with people that 
are one or two levels senior to them and one or two levels junior to them. Is a manager making uh, strong relationships with their immediate team, but are they also making connections with other managers that are going to support them in their growth in the organization? And so there's a, there's a really simple way to understand the, the, the type of network that people are building to make sure that they are going to be successful. Um, and also, you can establish a, a baseline of what a, um, a, a, if you can identify a high producing team or a, a team that is operating effectively, that has you know, good engagement scores from surveys, etc. And you look at their communication behaviors that can form your baseline that you can then compare to the organization overall or other teams to, and you can start to, to establish, okay, what does a healthy network look like? What does healthy network behavior look like? All the way through to um, the extreme examples of isolation. So you can very easily identify people that six months ago had a um, a high network relationship score. They had you know, 20, 30, 40 uh, strong relationships in the organization. And here we are six months later, and they have five or 10 strong relationships in the organization, and their network relationship score is much lower. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's a consistent behavior, this is an incredibly consistent and accurate predictor of people leaving the organization. And it, and it kind of doesn't matter whether they are leaving voluntarily, or you're, you're asking them to leave the, the visibility of them rejecting the culture or being rejected by the culture is very, very clearly visible in this data so so i think how i think any organization whatever size can use the relational data as a a very strong uh supporter to your usual management behaviors i think it, it provides another view on how employees are behaving and how they're engaging with their colleagues and engaging with their organization that doesn't need to feel intrusive it doesn't need to feel that the very big brother like um mm-hmm. it's it's simply supplementing what a manager would be observing with their own eyes if you know in a very traditional organization where you just saw how people were, were operating it is supplementing yeah. that yeah yeah, definitely. And I think as well, just to kind of, I, I maybe suppose wrap up in terms of context. So, mm. so from our perspective, from an EX design perspective, what you've described and, and using that data just adds such a richer layer of, of yeah, EX design, absolutely. right? So having mm. that research um, process kind of augmented, if you like, by mm. the relational data that you've got, the mm. relational analytics you've got is just so, so powerful. And I think we'll call it now on this podcast, I think over the, the kind of coming year to 18 months we're going to see organizations from an ex design perspective start thinking on about this as a really critical data set right yeah yeah for sure well thank you so much daniel this has been super super interesting and i would really encourage anyone that's listening to go and check out the panel at website i know you guys have got some case studies on there so if people Mm. are are looking for examples of, of where organizations have used um relational analytics data then do head over there or reach out to daniel on linkedin if that's okay yeah of course absolutely no and I really appreciate this this opportunity. I think the employee experience area, I think, is is it, 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 this is where the rubber meets the road in terms of how employees mm-hmm. experience HR and experience uh, the output of the, of the data that we're providing. And I, and I think, yeah, I think it's fantastic you guys are thinking in this kind of holistic way. So, um, yeah, all props to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Mm, thanks for having me. Cheers. Have a great See day. You. Bye. 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 Okay, that was a great interview with Daniel. What did you think, Sasha? I loved it. I thought he raised a lot of really important points around what the future holds. So the data, particularly the Gartner article that we, we spoke about, which, by the way, we will leave in the show notes. Yeah. Um, 
it, it paints a very clear picture of 2020, mm-hmm. but I think we're going to see some serious shifts going forward and relational analytics as a, as a core part of EX design is absolutely going to become more and more of a priority, right? Absolutely. I think it's going to be so much more data-driven mm-hmm. over the next three to five years with EX. Yep. Um, and I think the relational analytics will, will play a core part of that for sure. Absolutely. So next week... What are we going to be covering? We are going to signpost onboarding. So we're going to cover rethinking onboarding, creating a distinct and intentional onboarding experience in a hybrid working environment. I'm excited. Me too. I think it'll be a a great addition to the podcast series. And also we've covered off boarding. So this is like the next stage for us, which is great. Yes. So thanks everyone for joining us. Um, We're three episodes in now. So please do contact us via LinkedIn. Mm -hmm our email address if you would like to share some feedback we would love to hear it because we want to continue improve the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you on the next episode